Hi, this is Mike Mignola, and you're listening to An Elegant Weapon. An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. What are y'all doing in here? We're smoking reefer, and you don't want no part of this shit. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. This is a journey into sound. Gentlemen, welcome to an elegant weapon episode 136. My name is Jay. I am your host. Please excuse me while I flick my bick. Your love of the halfling's leaf has clearly slowed your mind. God damn! How are you, Anthony Bachman? I'm doing good. Uh, you just finished watching Arrow, as did I, and you are correct, that was an enjoyable episode. That was fun stuff. Uh, for the first time, Arrow made me tear up. Ooh. Can you guess when in that episode that Arrow made me tear up? Um, I don't know, when she saw the ghost of her sister? No. No. When Ollie told Thea. Nice. And when she turned around, he was so scared that she was going to fucking hate him and everything. And then she was all like, all those times you lied, you were saving lives. <laughs> and it was all, I was all like, oh my God. And there was something, what also stood out at that moment was actually the music. The, yeah, the, the music, music was good this episode. Yeah, the music at that moment was uh, was really cool. And it just, it got to me, you know, I wasn't, they weren't running down my cheek, but. You know, things were welling up a little, you know what I mean? You big softy. <laughs> it got to me. But uh, yeah, awesome episode. It was good times. Um, I think it officially wrapped up any secrets between um, between the characters. Well, I mean, almost. Not like everything, but basically all the really important stuff. They, Thea still doesn't know that she murdered Sarah. This is true. This is true. She still does. I mean, she already hates Merlin to the point that she wants him dead, and doesn't trust him, and says she will never trust him. And still, to this point, she doesn't know that he brainwashed her and made her murder her brother's ex-girlfriend. Oh, he's so fucking <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> Which set up a situation, yeah, that led to her brother's death, and the fact that Ra's al Ghul is still coming after them. I'm glad that uh, Detective Lance now knows that his daughter is dead. 
Get, yeah, that scene was a tearjerker. Yeah, get that out it's of it. It's like, way. oh no, it's cool. You're you know, you're a vigilante. You're running around smacking people in a blonde wig. It's all right. <laughs> it's like, no, dad, that's not what I was gonna say. And like, he just fucking broke down. It's like, oh <laughs> damn, that's some good acting right there. That dude looked like he was about like literally he was gonna have a heart attack and cry at the same time. Yeah, he's like, not again. He kind of fell over there and stuff. Yeah, yeah that like, was... it was it was well done. Yeah, man, that was cool stuff. It was uh, it was a very enjoyable episode. Um, uh, I have a very exciting show this evening, Anthony. I have a very interesting guest. Oh, yeah? Tonight we will be featuring an interview with uh, the spawn of Cthulhu himself, Mr. Dirk Manning. Nice. Yeah, uh, he went ahead and decided to whoop Kickstarter's ass as well as Sean Daly and reached full fundage in eight hours. Was it eight? Eight that was all he hours. Took? Five grand, eight hours. Bam! Just kicked the shit out of that shit. So we got a great conversation tonight with me and uh, Mr. Dirk Manning. But just before we get to that, we've got to address the giant, giant news. Spidey's coming home, Anthony. Damn right. Uh, did this excites you? Uh, yeah, I'm super excited. Good news, bad news, massive rumors. It's 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 a big bundle of stuff. Oh, internet definitely <laughs> exploded today. There's so much to think about. All the obvious stuff. A lot of people are sad to see Garfield go. I'm I'm kind of one of them. That, that's the only bad part. Yeah, it is. Like that's the only thing I'm disappointed with. Was I really liked Andrew Garfield, his portrayal of Peter Parker in the two films that he did, and the idea that we're not going to get to see him play Peter Parker anymore. I'm totally offsetting that feeling by the fact that he got Emma Stone. I can in no way feel bad for Andrew Garfield. Yeah, he's coming out all right. Yeah, <laughs> he basically won at life. You know, he got to play a superhero. He got to be, you know, Spider-Man in two films. And he got to marry, you know, not marry, but like he gets to keep Gwen Stacy. What the fuck? There's nothing wrong with that. Good deal. <laughs> yeah, they want to go really high school now. Apparently, I, I don't like the high school thing. I like, it. like I don't well, mind them young. But you're gonna bring him into the Marvel universe now, starting over with the cinematic films. Sadly, that means we're gonna get another origin movie. I don't think so. I think oh, they'll we fucking totally will. Come on, They're, man. The, the next Batman movie is gonna be an origin movie. The next Spider-Man movie is gonna be an origin movie. All executive producers can say is, "But what if nobody knows the character?" They, what if they don't know the storyline? Uh, yeah, we need to start from the beginning. I think they can forgive it for frightened. now, man. I'm telling you, because they're, they're saying that most likely his first appearance will be Civil War. So do you think he'll do his own, they'll do another origin after he appears in Civil War? Yeah, totally. Really? They will have him do a fucking cameo or, you know, a five-minute piece in, you know, Civil War or something. Or it'll be a flashback sequence of an introduction to the character, but we will get an origin. I could see that. I could see like a flashbacky origin, but I don't think we're going to get a whole other movie based on a kid becoming Spider-Man again. I, th I think if we get, like, say they have the balls to do like the, who is it, Louis Lettier that did The Incredible Hulk, mm -hmm. where you got the flashback origin in the opening credits, which was fucking amazing. Yes, yeah, yeah. If, if they do something like that to start Civil War... And which I don't know why they would do that for the Caps movie to like intro the origin of Peter Parker, but like the whole thing of Civil War was you know in the comics, you know Cap was against uh, Iron Man for the different sides of who who they thought you know what they their understanding of the hero superhero registration act. So those were the two big figureheads going against each other, and Parker sided with Tony Stark and decided like as a hero he would show his face. 
which is funny because if you really look at it, the, the, the hero that doesn't show his face is Tony Stark inside the helmet, and everybody knows that Steve Rogers is Captain America. Like, it's fucking weird. Yeah. But yeah, Parker unmasked. So if Parker unmasking is part of Civil War, we've got to have something that tells you who Peter Parker is. And Peter Parker... All, it's just, yeah. what, Spider-Man steps up to a camera and takes off his mask and says, I'm Peter Parker and I've been Spider-Man for four years? Like, that can't be the intro to the character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think they'll do it clever enough. I think they'll do it efficiently. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he's, he's really, because when you think about the way the Marvel Universe is right now, there's nobody's got a secret identity. Right? Like, all the Avengers, everybody knows who they all are. So, yeah. you know, and so there's there's no secret identity well, thing I mean, going I guess on. Banner's the only one, technically. Nobody yeah. know, really knows who the Hulk is. I can't imagine how they would have pulled it off without Spider-Man. Like they were originally planning to do, you know? like that's... Oh, what what their original idea for Civil War was yeah. without Peter Parker? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, he was, he was really the touchstone of that story. But mm-hmm. at the same time, yeah, because it, 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 either way, they would have to introduce a character that has a secret identity and then have them give up that secret identity all within one movie, which from what I'm, from what I'm seeing, they're still going to have to do unless Parker is somehow introduced before civil war, which, you know, they're, they're running out of time. If they want to fucking cast him, get a kid in shape enough to look like Spider-Man in the suit and get him on film. True. Like civil war is not that far away. And we're still assuming this is, we're having this discussion, assuming that Peter Parker is the chosen Spider-Man. Well, that that's once again I'm going to go back to my standard claim because people are already fucking hollering for like Donald Glover, right? And you know other. Uh, so I saw one list of rumored actors, and one of them was I don't want to say the black kid, but the black kid from Harry Potter because I think he was the only black kid in Harry Potter, but yeah. he's really tall now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were talking about him, and like honestly, like I have nothing against those actors, but if they want to make them Miles Morales Spider Man, cool. I don't see a black actor as Peter Parker. Peter oh Parker's no 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 character. no no! Absolutely, that's what I'm. That's. <laughs> but no, there are people that's, that are talking about like they really? want Donald Glover as Peter Parker because a kid from New York could be a black kid. Which oh, that's that part silly. of it I understand. That's but silly. those people that are asking for that, I want them to ask themselves if Black Panther was cast and it was John Leguizamo, would you be pissed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... It's like, what if he was the best actor at the audition? Yeah. You can't tell me what a Wakandan looks like. It's a fake fucking country. This is true. Yeah, we've just assumed that the Black Panther actor will be a black actor because the character's black. So how is it that like people would wouldn't like you know people would be totally pissed if anybody other than African American descent played the Black Panther? So why is it not okay for a white actor to play Peter Parker? And people are like, oh, they already have too many white people in the Avengers. Well, you know what? Sixty-year-old white men fucking wrote those books. Yeah, it's you know, you know. I mean, not sixty-year-old, what you know, guys that were in their twenties and thirties and forties. Back in the '60s, were creating white characters, and they were white, you know, old white Jews in New York. So oh, they created white characters. We're getting there. I you mean, know, things it, it are, happens. They're slowly progressing. This, I'll have to admit, this new A Force, the new All Women Avengers, that feels kind of forced. Like it's good they're doing it and they're pushing it and well, everything. I, but from it's... what I'm seeing, it's part of Battle World because right now anything Marvel's announcing is going to be part of Battle World right. in the Secret Wars, and yeah. so there's no telling how any of it, you know, ends up. How it, if any of nothing that they're talking about right now might be part of the future Marvel universe. You know, once secret wars is over, yeah. every single thing they have on board could be wiped clean and it might all be gone. Why do you think things are so tense between Marvel and Fox? It's almost like something personal. Like 
Like, you I, think about, you know, it's all these suits in a room. We don't know what the fuck they're talking about, giving notes and making the movies they want and shit. But when it comes down to these things, how did they hash out this Sony thing? And not in, and, and like Fox, it seems like this is an absolutely undying, you know, thing. This is a, it, a it could very simply be like, I mean, you know, Avia Rad's been there forever and he kind of handed everything over to Kevin Feige. And so now Kevin Feige is basically like the head dude at Marvel when it comes to, you know, making deals with all the other companies. Right. And he's basically been, you know, the the heart and soul of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, building it up from Iron Man 1 going forward. Almost all the big decisions were made by Kevin Feige. And so it might simply be something as easy as, you know, there's 10 executives over here at Sony that have to make all the decisions. And so they sit in a room with him for the Spider-Man stuff. And there's 10 executives over here at Fox that make all the decision for the, the X-Men and the Fantastic Four movies. And they all have to sit in a room with him. And, you know, maybe one, two, three, four of those people don't have the same type of personalities that mesh with Kevin Feige. And so they didn't hit it off and they were, maybe got antagonistic. It could be something that simple that's causing, you know, multi-million yeah, dollar deals to fall through. It's so Because, stupid. you know, that's that's just how it is. And yeah. sadly, when you're dealing with giant corporations like Sony, like, you know, Time Warner, 20th Century Fox, like, you know, it's going to be a room of executives making a decision. There's never the yeah. one person that's going to stand up and, you know, take all the fault or the blame for it. Because that's how executives like that lose their jobs and all yeah, the money yeah. that they've ever earned. Which, While of course. Kevin Feige is, you know, just making decisions. And, well, so far he keeps fucking... You know, sinking battleships every time he takes a shot, so they keep fucking letting him fucking make decisions. <laughs> it's a it's a smart idea, and you know, one of the things that fan kids can sit around and complain about the most is the fact that they don't have this. But today is a day that we can let that argument uh, rest at least for a little bit, because yes, this is a momentous day. Uh, getting to see Spider-Man on film is something that is exciting for me because, uh, or at least on Marvel film, it's exciting for me because, yeah. you know, I'm, I've kind of got the Marvel, uh, I'm kind of over a lot of it and all the heroes who are kind of left, I'm not really stoked to see any of the, you know, B team that's about to be phase three kind of thing. So this really actually adds some excitement to phase three for me. But I, I wanted to ask you something quick, too, before we get into uh, tonight's conversation with Mr. Dirk Manning. Um, do you notice how many Marvel terms are used in the CW shows? What do you mean Marvel terms? I have been noticing this since the beginning with Arrow, and especially in Flash. Flash is really obvious for it. Uh, for example, uh, this week's episode featuring Firestorm, big episode about Firestorm. Um, Flash, when he runs into him, he's he's trying to reason with him, and he says, "Please don't." And then he turns to fire, and uh, you hear Flash say, "Flame on." Oh yeah, I, I didn't even think about that one. And there, <laughs> I I haven't heard anybody talk about this, but it is absolutely. After I heard that one on the last episode, I was like, "Okay, this is for real. This is a thing," and <laughs> it has happened maybe ten times in this show, Anthony. Like, start paying really close attention. And I'm going to have to go back yeah, and listen to, like, the last season of Arrow and will. Flash so far. Yeah, I'm tell there has been multiple times that they have used Marvel phrasing. And, <laughs> yeah, and it's an absolute – I'm convinced it's obvious at this point that it's it's intentional. Cause well, I and you got to think, too. I mean, there's a lot of those, like, phrases, unlike – it's it's weird because as many things as have been copyrighted and trademarked with fucking Taylor Swift being a you know a Nazi crazy person trademarking lyrics from her songs, <laughs> yeah. Marvel I don't believe has ever actually trademarked any phrases like "flame on." But at the same time, 
technically the term superhero is a trademark phrase co-owned by Marvel and DC. I think uh, I think it's so, technically outright owned by Marvel, and there has been just a, like a fifty-year understanding between them that they would never take action against DC yeah. using it. And or, so it's it's yeah. one of those things where like where I think they have enough back and forth on little things like that that maybe Guggenheim and the showrunners are kind of doing it as kind of a little you know a little back and forth either maybe jabbing at Marvel about their you know, their one TV show yeah, so yeah. far while DC's got like nine going. Yeah. Yeah. It's been know. stuff like names and stuff and words and, huh. you know, not like full out, like you'd have to catch it, but there's been just enough time. Cause it happened once or twice. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Cause that kind of sticks <laughs> out to me as like a Marvel name as I, I can't give you any better examples than that flame on one right the now. Flame on, yeah. Now that I mean, as soon as you mentioned it, I can, yeah, it's like, Oh yeah, he did. He totally yelled fucking flame on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he fucking <laughs> grabbed him. He's like, please don't flame on. Yeah. So ah. wa- pay attention for that kids. And, uh, cause it's happened several times, especially, I think it's happened in arrow, but it has happened flat in flash, like outright. And, uh, <laughs> that was also a great episode too. flash this week. Also Gotham, oh, the yeah. origin of the scarecrow, how great that was, was good. that to see? And the fucking preview. Julian Sands as the Scarecrow's dad. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was fucking spectacular. Oh, he's great. He's he's fantastic. And the teaser for next week, that is another uh, potential Joker. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's just great stuff going on in the world of comic book television and exciting things to come in comic book world. Uh, I'm really excited about Convergence. Um, I You know, I'm glad people stopped immediately when... Uh, DC announced they're going to drop the new 52 moniker. Everybody went, oh, they're rebooting again. No, they are literally just dropping the moniker. They're like, we understand now that it's not new and it's not 52 of them. So (laughs) we're going to stop calling it that and we're going to not worry about continuity anymore as much. Like it's going to continue and, you know, keep going with more elements added in. But I like that they're going to give freedom. In my older years, I'm less stingy about my continuity, (laughs) you know? Well, and I, if anything, I'm probably worse about it. I, I'm, uh, let's see. You didn't let's go see, through the Star Wars of... effect that I just went through, though. Any Star Wars dude, fan dude, who's deep into the Star EU Wars? as I was having to, to about cancel all that? <laughs> I've been buying New Warriors issues since I was 12. And, you know, every comic coming out of the Marvel Universe since I was 12 and became a Marvel zombie. And they're about to get rid of the Marvel Universe. That's way more fucking important than the EU. As much fun as the EU was, the Marvel Universe has always been the Marvel Universe, no matter how many times DC reset, wiped the fucking board clean, and started over. Because that's their thing. DC's done this four or five times. Oh, yeah. It's not that big of a deal. No. They've rewritten which fucking heroes came first. Like, they've rewritten their entire history before. Several times I mean, over, it happens. Yeah. yeah. Zero Hour, fucking Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, DC does this every couple decades. Yeah. That's no biggie. And, yeah, when they said they were... Re- undoing the new 52 i literally saw that first article and thought well they're rebooting again that's a little ridiculous it's only been three years yeah and okay now they're just changing the name but then yeah when they drop the phrase we're not going to be worried about continuity anymore you know what fuck you because <laughs> the best thing about comic books is that they're an ongoing story that never stops it's not that and they're if- not going to worry about continuity they're just going to be more open to things they like they were in the past like i think what no, they in mean the article is- i read i think actually dan didio actually was quoted as saying we're not going to worry about continuity anymore yeah and you know, this is the guy that already tried to kill Nightwing, so I already dislike him. <laughs> I and think literally, he... like, if that's your focus as a company was 
you know, every three months we want to be able to restart a character and bring in new readers, new readers, new. Re- you know what they're turning into? They're turning into the damn cell phone company that doesn't give a fuck about the the customers they have. Uh, here's and what only it is. gives the new shit to the new customers. I think it's more of the idea that they're going to be able to allow more stuff like uh, offshoots, like uh, we're going to have more Dark Knight Returns. We're going to have more All-Star Superman. I think they oh, yeah. want to go back to a, 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 a more loose freedom to allow more versions of stories to come out. Which yeah, which is exactly what DC always does. And then they yeah. build up the worlds, and then they have multiple worlds, and they have multiple universes, and they go, you know what? It's too convoluted. Start again. <laughs> and that's exactly what they're going to do. So now they'll say, oh, we're not so we're not so worried about continuity. If you want to do a you know a Dark Knight version of Superman, go ahead. We'll make it a miniseries. If you want to do this over here in Vertigo, go ahead. I think and that's And you want to do this over here on, you know, the Flash... Flashpoint world, go ahead and write that story and we'll publish it all. Right. And then two years from now, they're going to go, you know what? It's too convoluted. We have six multiple Earths. We have three different offshoots of Vertigo. And we have 19 different imprints and nobody knows which book is a DC book anymore. Start over, wipe the whole universe, start again. And that's what they that's what they do over and over and over. Which, you know, it's kind of a pain in the ass, but that's what DC's always done. The idea that Marvel's doing it right now and that... I'm sorry, I know for a fact that when we come out of Secret Wars, the Marvel Universe is going to much more highly resemble the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, yeah. That makes me sad. There'll be no X-Men. That makes me yeah. fucking sad I that agree. the comics need to reflect the movies. I agree the, 100%. The movies are yeah. great, and I love them, but they only exist because these amazing comics were done beforehand. Yeah, there's because no Marvel the Universe without is X-Men. Like, I've always said that, and I'll always no. stick to it. You can't have a Marvel Universe without mutants. I don't care how cool the Inhumans <laughs> are. And I know yeah. they're cool, but uh, this is a conversation continued for another time. I know we could ramble on about this forever, <laughs> but we need of to course. get to uh, a fine conversation with Mr. Dirk Manning. If you're not familiar with Dirk Manning, he is a Michigan writer. He is responsible for Nightmare World. He is responsible for a book called uh, Right or Wrong. It's about... Uh, Comic book writing and writing comic books. It's a very cool thing. And uh, there's also his uh, Tales of Mystery, which is what the Kickstarter is about. Dirk is a super cool individual. He's been on the show a bunch of episodes before, but uh, he's come back to have a good time to celebrate his Kickstarter. I've been on a crazy roll, eh, Anthony? Last week we had Sean Daly, who went ahead and kicked the shit out of his Kickstarter. Uh, his stretch goals are still pushing, so go to Kickstarter and check out Terra Quill Collected. And uh, go check out the Dirk Manning train, because it's still rolling along with some crazy... I think they're above 11,000 now. Nice. Yeah, so that's that's insane. That's uh, his goal. Actually, is uh, if you're listening to this ep- episode the day it comes out, which is Thursday, February twelfth. Tomorrow is February thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth, and he was really hoping, just like a like a extra little wish, that he might hit thirteen on Friday the thirteenth. It is kind of a cool thing. Yeah, so get over there and uh, check that stuff out. Uh, with no further ado, Anthony, thanks for chilling out. This is my conversation with Mr. Dirk Manning. Um, last week, I had a guest on this show, okay? Okay. And his name is Sean Daly. A uh, very old friend of the show. Uh, he's a yeah. local, he's a local Toronto artist here, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, he does a little like book completely by himself. He's always done. It's a little collection. Uh, there's five volumes he's done, and it's just a little collection, a little short stories that he's drawn and written. Right. I know his name. I can't place it. I'm sure you've just seen it through my show or around Twitter. Probably that's what it is. All right. Yeah, yeah. He's just he's a hell of a nice guy, right? Just couldn't have like just a nice, nice guy. So he's decided that he's going to put Terraquil, these volumes, into a collection. Yeah. Now yeah. I know who you're talking about. Right, right. So he starts a Kickstarter, right? And I'm excited for him. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. He's going to kick ass. You know, everybody loves Sean, and he's a talented guy. Totally deserves the support. So he throws up his Kickstarter, and about 25 hours later, uh, he reaches full fundage of his $4,500 goal. That's awesome. And I'm like, what the Jesus crap? I, I don't. I haven't known anybody to have a Kickstarter. I'm sure there have, there have been, but just anyone I personally know, I've never seen one go that quick where everybody was just like, "Yeah, we want it," you know. <laughs> like 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 it was like seventy some odd supporters in like twenty five hours or something. It was totally unbelievable. So I'm I'm all blown away, and you know I had him on the show last week, and we're talking about this and. Man, this is record setting. This is incredible. This is the nuttiest thing we've ever seen. And so, not taking away from it, it was a very impressive thing, right? Yeah, man. But then, like, two days later, Mr. Dirk Manning decides to toss up his Kickstarter <laughs> and about eight hours reaches his full fundage. Congratulations. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> you just fucking tore that shit up, man. <laughs> yeah, it would. no one is more blown away by it than me. So, yeah, what's that feel like? I mean, that it's got to be quite humbling. That much support getting tossed at you so quick. It it's cool, man. Well, are we recording it or not? Let me ask that. Oh yeah, we've been we're recording. All yeah, right, I want to make sure because I want you know I don't want to put people out there that don't want to be put out there. Well, there's something you got to learn about me, Dirk. See, like Derek has uh, in Drunk Home Comics, they've learned this the hard way. I'm always recording. No, no, that's fine. I, I, I just, uh, I just want to make sure because I know like some people don't like me like name by name like they did this, they did that or whatever. No, cool, but cool. um, I'll be um, I'll be, uh, I'll be straight with you, man. You know, it doesn't matter recording or not. You know, but you know, I, I just um, I, I was really blown away and I was really humbled by it. Um, a couple of backers. What's the craziest thing? And this is why I asked because I, I don't know if these people want to be announced yet. I know one of them does. The first two um, pledges were for the two highest tiers to be a main character in an issue of Volume 3. And, wow. one, and one of them was uh, Stephanie from uh, Drunk Dorks. And the other person I, I don't think has released their identity to the public yet. <laughs> they haven't stepped forward. Yeah, I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want to put them out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, of you course, know. of course, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, the first two – the first two uh, – goals that the pledge pledge levels that went were the two highest ones and yeah and, and we got funded in under eight hours and uh i'd be big 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 props to the facebook group uh there's a group on facebook the friends of dirk manning but then the r's in parentheses it's like the fiends of dirk manning <laughs> proud to be a member yeah yes yeah, so you know and <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. they they just came out in force man i mean they just they and them and a lot of other people too you know i um i've been um you know i've done a ton of shows and stuff like that 
I did uh, 24 shows in 18 weeks to close out 2014 alone. Damn. Yeah, it was it was nuts. And um, I've been collecting. Uh, I have an email list. Go, you know, uh, like a, literally just like a like a clipboard with like a, a spreadsheet on it. I'm like, hey, if you want to be on the mailing list, and I've been doing that for about a year or so, and I hadn't really said anything out because I wanted like to to send out the first email to be this real big thing. So what I did was, um, I think the Friday before, I sent an email out to everybody and I said, hey, you know, this kicks, you know, hey, I'm finally, you know, I'm using the email list. I'm only going to email you once a month, but I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to start Monday. So I think, in fact, I sent out the first one on my birthday. So it was the end of January. And then, um, so I told people kind of watch out for it. And then the beginning of Feb, and then like, e- you know, it, it launched on um, February 2nd at noon and just exploded. And uh, it's just wild. It, it's humbling. I mean, obviously, I'm babbling about it. I was really blown away. No, it's <laughs> exciting, man. Babble away. I mean, that's a, that's an experience to have. Yeah. It's a very – It's you're putting yourself out there, you know. I mean, I was talking about this last week. It's got to be kind of freaky that, you know, you're putting your own soul in your work out there for people to – basically judge to decide if they like or not if they decide if they like you and uh you know it's either going to support one way or the other you know well and that's and that and that's exactly it you know we did the kickstarter for volume one and we met our goal and it was more of um i don't want to say a slog i don't know if that's a fair way to say it but we but it, it was nowhere near it didn't happen nowhere near as quickly as this one and we had a couple angels to come in and legitimately help kickstart the Tales Mystery franchise in print and said, look, we believe in this project. Uh, we believe in you, Dirk, and we're going to help you make this happen. Uh, and asked not nearly as much as they should have gotten for what they what they pledged to, to make it happen. And so the first book, uh, you know, the volume one of Tales Mystery was a collection of the online comic that we, we put together, put a ton of extras in there, made it this really cool book from Devil's Due. And then with volume two, we released – the uh, we've released it as a four issue miniseries. Uh, the fourth issue actually isn't even out yet. It's gonna be coming out in a couple weeks here. But um, so I've been really kind of touring on this one and promoting this one. And like I said, and much love to the Facebook group, you know, Michelle and everyone else that kind of got that started and propagates it and and runs with it. Um, they've just been really supportive and they came out. Like I said, we blew past our goal in under eight hours. Our fun group. <laughs> it's a fun. They're they're cool people, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's um, yeah. We had a funding goal of six thousand six hundred sixty-six dollars. Blew past that. As I'm talking to you right now, I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> we're over eleven. We're over yeah. eleven thousand dollars right now with twenty-one days to go. That's where you were last time I looked. That's it's, yeah, it's 11, amazing. It shows the support seven. that you know. We'll make it ourselves, and our fans will help people make it themselves. You know, and I think a lot of it to do with the the quick efficiency of your kick-ass starterness was uh same thing as sean daly last week is that grassroots is being out there is meeting the people i mean he sean has a reputation for just being even for a canadian he's a fucking nice guy right that's super nice yeah even for (laughs) even for us we're like just like this is the kind of guy like uh like when Derek met him last year at Fan Expo, there, like he was trying to buy some art off him, and just Daly wouldn't have it. He was just giving him his artwork. He just gives it to people. He's like, "Here, fucking love my stuff and look at it." And uh, he's just just the nicest guy, basically. So, 
you know, it was extra nerve wracking. A guy who's used to just kind of doing it himself and giving his work away and just wanting people to see it to finally go, okay, here's where you lay down your dollar. Here's where, you know, I put my stuff out there and we see if people would really want to spend their hard earned money on this. And him having been at all these grassroots cons around, at least like the mainstays here, he's always at Fan Expo and just anyone he meets, he makes an impression on because he's so nice. Same thing with you. You're out there and you're toiling it. You're shaking hands and kissing babies and drinking goat's blood and just keep well, it that, on or, moving. Yeah. You know? or, or sometimes I kiss hands and shake babies. It just yes. depends. <laughs> but um, but no, but, you know, it's funny because we're talking about Sean, and that's exactly the way to do it. You know, it's gotten to a point now where I, I've spent so much time I was talking about the fact that with Nightmare World and with Tales of Mystery, I gave away the original series online for free. And then I said, if you like it, if I ever take it to print, support it. You know, and that that's the way that's the thing to do. But the the thing is, the paradigm is has changed so much because when I did that stuff, I mean, we're talking over 10 years ago, there was no social social media was like message boards. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and in and, and like in for my career, for my, my online presence, my space was like a huge thing for me. That just helped me so much and get the word out there. I never even had a MySpace. I was like even like too late for that. You know? No, but. <laughs> But 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 what what you're talking about, Sean, is exactly what you got to do. You just got to get your work out there. You got to be cool to people, and you know, I mean, I write horror stuff, you know. So and I think this is changing now more because people are kind of getting to kind of get the gag, you know, the picture of the guy in the hat and the scarf and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, you know, for a long time, people come up to me at a show and like meet me and they they like my work and I get messages or I get emails or whatever and like, you know, or they stare it to my face. You know, I want to say to you that. You know, you were not at all what I expected, you know, and I'm like, oh, because I have a top hat and a scarf on in person, you know, it's a black suit. and Well, yeah, you know? <laughs> totally. But, but yeah, that, that's part of it. You know, people say, well, you know, you're like you're like nice and, and, and funny. And I'm like, well, yeah, I get all my I get all my demons out on the page, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you just got to be you just got to be cool to people. You know, you got to be good to people. You don't want to look at people as wallets. Or marks, as they say in the carnivals, you know, and stuff. I mean, it's just about, hey, you know, here's my work. If you like it, I'd appreciate if you check it out. If your money's already spent, I get it. You know, there's times I've said to people, you know, you will really like this. That's like the hardest sell I'll, I'll do. If I know someone legitimately will like it. But for every person yeah. I say, I really think you would really like this, there's a person I would say, this will not be your thing whatsoever. <laughs> well, you know, well, you gotta have integrity. Yeah, and, and you're good for being honest with sharing and stuff too. You know, you're always willing to talk to people, to help them out, and and you know, share in the whole craft. You're not just out there constantly hawking. You're you're genuinely enjoying meeting these people. It leaves an impression. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Well, it's 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 such a you know, it's such a a charmed life to be able to do this stuff. I mean, it's hard work. You know, God, doing all the shows I did last year was insane. I mean, it was. Even now, I look back and I'm like, I did 24 appearances in 18 weeks. How did I do that? And then I look at I look at this year's schedule and I got like 20 or 21 shows on the books already, and that's not even including hardly any in-store appearances. And I'm like, oh god, what am I? What am <laughs> I, I going to survive this? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to kind of pace it out a little bit more, and you know, like February is not too bad. And then March is absolutely – I'm looking, I'm looking, I literally have a paper calendar on the wall. And I like look at March, and it's like, oh, God, March is insane. But that's fine because March is a busy month. And then I look at April, and I'm like, oh, God in heaven. And then, you know, but uh, 
You know, it's also health issues for you, man. I've seen how you live. I've seen how you eat. Well, you know, there's a big joke about that because, like, I always post the ice cream and stuff like that. But here's the thing. Here's the real the secret behind the ice cream, right? When I go do a show, I eat a big-ass breakfast in the morning, a lot of protein and stuff like that. Because then during the day, and anyone that's been to a show can tell you this, I don't usually leave my table. I usually leave the table to fill my water bottle, go tinkle, and run right back. Yes. And that's about it. Other than that, man, I am living on power bars and water during the day. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I'm there, you know, inevitably, whenever I leave the table, someone comes, some, wants to find me or see me, then I feel bad, you know. Yeah, Plus, I'm, yeah. I'm there to work, you know. So then you're talking to people all day and stuff like that, you know, you, your throat's just shot. Mm. And when you have a sore throat. There you go. What's better than ice cream? Than some ice cream, right? The real deal. So that's that that that's kind of part of the thing. And like it's C2E2, I'm notorious for like ice cream for breakfast because I'm a grown ass man. You know, they sell ice cream right on the floor. They know I'm going, but because you know, like I'll, I'll get to, you know, C2E2 in Chicago, for example, starts on a Friday. And like I go to the you know Saturday morning, you know, I'm going to my table and I'm like, hey everybody, how's to go? Yeah. So yeah, like. I eat the ice cream like, oh, uh, hey, hey, oh, oh, oh okay, there we go. I can talk for a bit. Yeah. I can talk, you know, and then I get ice cream for Sound lunch like again, you know. <laughs> um, but there there actually is a lot of uh, – and this is going to sound really funny. And it's so fun. I was just talking to another creator about this, um, my buddy Victor Dandridge, about this very issue in an upcoming uh, right or wrong column. The health considerations you have to have to do stuff like this, concrud alone could kill you. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, the other thing I do a lot to help my voice and, and stuff like that is I take vitamin C drops like nonstop, man. It's very good. Yeah. That's yeah. like the thing to do. You know, and everyone else is like dying and, and I usually do okay. You know, I, I usually get by pretty clear, but yeah, you know, I mean, even standing there all day, you know, and, and not be able to get exercise, but yeah. So I'll, I'll take the hit, man. I'll take the, I, I love ice cream. I love go for ice cream, but, but just, I want everyone to know, I'll, you know, we're friends. I'll, I'll put the secret out there. That's the other reason. Aside from ice cream being absolutely fantastic. It is a fantastic, beautiful, wonderful it, thing. It, yeah, it. Fan, ice cream is like proof that life can be okay. So you do have a home, yes? <laughs> yeah, the internet, man. Uh, you just crawl back in there under the blanket yeah, every night. I, I'm, I'm like uh, the girl in the ring, you know. It's like, it's like I just crawl out of the computer and you know get ice cream, and then just crawl back in and go bouncing around again. Uh, or, or you could say Horace Pinker from Shocker, but I think that'd be nice, lost. Nice, nice, no, I, I remember that one. <laughs> one of the best, so, so, one of the best guilty pleasure soundtracks to a movie ever is the Shocker soundtrack. So good. That I don't remember. <laughs> Oh, it's so. Oh, I won't. I won't start singing to you. But it's got like dangerous things <laughs> on there. It's got a good super group on there. That's where Megadeth did their "No More Mr. Nice Guy" cover. Oh. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so has it always been horror for you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've always been a horror guy. You know, when I was little, I would watch um, the Twilight Zone is really, I think, where it started with me. I'd watch Twilight Zone with my grandma. So I had a really cool grandma. You know, uh, and. Uh, she always watched Benny Hill in the Twilight Zone. Nice. And and I didn't get into Benny Hill, and I, I'm just not not up on the the I guess the sex humor and the I, I just I, I don't know. I, just, I mean, looking back, I kind of get why it was funny, and but there's one joke I'll remember from Benny Hill forever, and it makes me laugh every time I hear it. But by and large, 
that was my jam, but oh my God, the Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. and that and that's really where it started with me. And then I got into, you know, like the short stories of like obviously Ray Bradbury and Edgar Allan Poe and then Stephen King and got into some Clive Barker a little bit here and there. But again, not not as much. I, I've I've grown to appreciate him more again as I get older. And I and I went through that that hot minute of Clive Barker, but right, it was right. never he was never Stephen King to me or then you're getting into your Lovecraft and Harlan Ellison, who's one of the, the, the most gifted writers, I think, ever to put words on a page. And uh, now, now even stuff like Joe Hill, you know, uh, he's brilliant. Eh? He's a uh, brilliant. Speaking, he's do, he's doing the next in the installment of the the scariest movie I ever saw as a kid, and he's doing a new creep show. Joe Hill is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's writing a new creep what? show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, totally, the movie that terrified me the most as a child was Creep Show oh. Two. And oh, I remember, speaking so of it being my birthday today, yes. it was, it was uh, grade four, I want to say, grade three or four, maybe grade three, okay. uh, my mom throws a little surprise birthday party for me, and I remember That's we my had- cake! Yeah, yeah, we had friends and stuff, and, and he, uh, and, you know, she rents this creep show too, and I'm like, what the Jesus hell? So the first one, I can't even remember it again. Very well. The first, the mo- it had the moss. It had the crate. It had the bugs. It had where's my cake? I can't remember the first one, but then yeah, the one, that, and then there was the kids who went out on the, they're out on the raft, the raft. And the water, and that thing yeah, coming up through them. But the one that the second, got me yeah. was the very last one, the hitchhiker. The thanks oh, for the ride, lady. Hi, lady. Oh my god, that oh. messed me up as a child, man. So good. I was so just. Good cowering in my mother's like bosom <laughs> oh my god that's such yeah that's fantastic oh it was so terrifying as a child man the creep show that and uh sleepaway camp or was it sleepaway <laughs> camp too which one's the one where they take the uh the cot curling iron while the girl's in the shower i don't remember if that's the first one or the second one but oh, fuck i actually have <laughs> what were we doing watching I, this? I, I actually have an amazing well, amazing to me, but I think you'll like it. Story about both Creep Show and Sleepaway Camp. I could do tell. <laughs> now, as you're talking about this, you know, the, the original Creep Show, they did the comic adaptation with Bernie Wrightson. Right. You know, and actually, if I'm not mistaken, Joe Hill was the kid in Creep Show. Oh, was he? I, I'm 99.9% positive that was him. That's cool. Yeah, he was a little kid, you know. So, but anyway, so one of the things I always wanted to get was the Creep Show comic, you know. And I know you could go on eBay or something and find it, but no, no, no. That's not the point. I want to go to a show and find the Creep Show comic. You want to earn it. I want to, yeah, I want to earn it. Exactly. I mean, I could go on eBay, but screw that, man, you know. So anyway, I, I am, I'm at this one particular show. It's actually was at, you know, I've looked for this book for years, and people always, oh yeah, I got back to the shop. I'm like, yeah, right, okay, whatever, you know, sure. So I'm at Cherry Capital Comic Con up in Traverse City, Michigan which is almost as high north as Michigan you can get without getting into your fair country. And um, which, by the way, you should check out that show, Cherry Capital Comic Con, Traverse uh, Traverse City, Michigan. Amazing show. You would have such a blast, dude. Cool. And I'll put some some love out there for everybody. That show is May 22nd, 23rd, and 24th this year. So you got plenty of time to plan. Nice, nice. What weekends, Motor City? 
Motor City is the week before that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I will guaranteed see And Motor City is another great show. 15th, 16th, 17th, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like doing a... Great shows. I'm doing a, Unfortunately, I couldn't do the second because I'm doing quite the task myself where I'm going to do Motor City. And yeah. then the next weekend, I'm going to fly out to Denver for Denver Comic-Con. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I'm finally going to get to meet my good buddy, Josh, who I've been running this podcast network for yeah. three years with. Well, that's but, great, uh, man. Yeah, so I'm really, really excited that about doing that. That's going to be a trip, man. Two major awesome cons back to back weekends. Sweet. Oh man, May's going to be a crazy month for me because we got Free Comic Book Day. Yes, yeah. Do down in Columbus, Ohio, Pack Rat Comics. Nice. The following week, I'm going to get to see Faith No More in concert. That's very exciting. There, you're. I haven't seen they? them in years. Yeah, you know, I, I've got to interview Mike Patton in person and stuff. But oh, I was yeah? Just, you know, oh, yeah. I'm looking at a picture of me and Mike Patton together right now. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then you got Motor City, which is a great show. The next yeah. weekend, Cherry Capital's a great show. And then I'll probably collapse that last week in May. And by collapse, I mean I'll probably end up booking another show. It's but, uh, there's it's this Michigan thing, man. It's when I was talking to uh, a good friend Cosmic Casey, who of course, mm-hmm. you know, another yeah. inspiration or inspired by you type story here. <laughs> and it was the same thing chatting about Michigan. Like there's something in the water down there, man. I don't yeah. know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, no, Michi- Michigan's got a great scene, man. Michigan's got a great, a really great scene. But so I'm in Michigan, at Cherry Capital Comic Con. I got to tell you the story, and then. This guy had the wall of weird at his booth of all these weird comics and stuff like that and just crazy stuff. And, and I'm talking to him, and all of a sudden I look right past him, and I see the Creepshow comic. Oh, no. Like, <gasps> I'm like how much is that? And he looks and he goes, oh, I just put that up on the wall. Hold on. And 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 he goes and he gets out his buyer's guide. And I knew the guy. I actually bought some books from him the day before because that's a big thing to me. If I go to a show, I try to buy some books from some of the vendors there and stuff, help them out a little bit. Oh, well, sure, yeah. You know, and uh, he goes, um, he goes, uh, seven bucks. And I'm like, Phew. I think it was like rip my pants, you know, it was like, like you know, like breakaway pants style. I took my money on my wallet so fast and give it to him. And I'm like, oh, my God, I finally got the book. And it's a little, che- you know, it's not che- I shouldn't say chewed up, but it's not. It, it just, it's a comic. It's perfect. It's perfect. Right. It actually sits above my bookshelf. It's not even on my shelf. It's above my bookshelf. <laughs> it's like some of my other memorabilia, like the, the Dale's, the mystery action figure, the Dirk Manning. Uh, action figure and stuff. That like. was cool. Who made that? Shout out who made that. Oh, I saw Titan that picture. Trap, Titan Trap Customs, man. And they actually are making one more, and it was on eBay right now. It might be done or pretty close. But yeah, he made that for me as a gift. Uh, the guys that do a podcast called Basement Fodder, uh, they did that, and uh, it, it's just amazing. Yeah, I, I was I was humbled. They gave that to me at Pack Rat Comics down in Columbus. Oh, right on, man. They, they have brought it to me like, hey, man, I made you something. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what, what's this box? What's in the box? Didn't I see some cosplay recently too? Uh, there has been a little bit of mystery cosplay floating around here and there. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that shit. That is, I love it's crazy. There now is. The big... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying the big one now is a couple of people are talking about cosplaying as Thelma Lushkin. <laughs> Nightmare World, and uh, also going to be appearing in Tales Mystery Volume Three in a really big way. But it, but basically, if you look at Lana uh, Rusev's manager from WWE, right? She wears a white suit. She she owes that look to Thelma Lushkin. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, that's, well, me, that, 
Yeah, but let me let me. I have to hear the end of this creep show story because it's the funniest thing. All right, go so se- seven bucks, right? Seven bucks. I just love this story. This is why I'm insisting on telling it. And I'll tell you the real no quick problem. story. No problem. So then I'll shut up about it. <laughs> so I got for seven bucks, and I'm literally just holding my hands like, <gasps> and this woman walks up and looks at the empty spot on the wall and goes, "Oh, do you still have that creep show book?" He goes, "Oh no, I just sold it to you know, I just sold it." No. And she kind of looks over and sees mine. And she goes, oh, you got it, huh? And I'm like, man, I said, I've looked for this book forever. I said, I'm just so tickled right now. She goes, <laughs> do you mind me asking how much you paid for it? And I go, you really don't want to know. <laughs> and she goes, I was like, what, like 75 bucks? <laughs> and the guy behind the table, is, I was like, <laughs> and I said, ma'am, you, you really don't want to know. Yeah. She goes, oh, yeah, I figured I probably couldn't afford it anyway. Oh. Walks away. And in the meantime, the guy that like, just sold me the book is like, oh. Uh. <laughs> and I said, look, man, I said, I don't know what this book goes for. I said, I am tickled you gave it to me for what you did. And I said, and I promise you, this will be in my collection forever. I said, I will have this for and to this day. It just I'm looking at it right now, man. It's just sitting right up there behind my creature from the Black Lagoon Bank, nice. which I also got that show. You know, it's yeah. just sitting there. And I just take it once in a while, look at it. I'm like, ah. You got to love when that happens, man. It's Yeah, and he was cool about it. He goes, okay, that's cool, man. He goes, I, he goes, he goes, I didn't know that book goes for nothing. I said, I didn't either. I said, I just know I've been looking at it forever because no one has them. Yeah, it's true, man. I uh, I remember when uh, uh, Phantom Menace came out, and there there was a certain set amount of lightsabers, but there's often ones that will come out the toy lightsabers from Hasbro that we don't get in Canada, right? Okay, okay. So they put out a they actually did put out a purple Mace Windu lightsaber with like oh. a different handle than he has, but they put this out uh, in like 2000. And that's your and, jam too. Yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere i went to toy shows and shows i couldn't even find it on ebay like i couldn't find this thing anywhere and then i'm just casually walking around this toy show and uh, it's a big like toy show but uh, i'm walking around and i see it like sitting on the top of this shelf and it just stuck out like the whole con went dark while it right, had a spotlight right, on it you right. know what i mean yeah and i was like it's, i was like i'll take it like i didn't even, i knew the guy i i didn't even like really ask the price i was like just give me it give me it here right how, yeah. how much you want for it? He's like thirty bucks, and I'm like, that's the standard for a lightsaber. Here's your thirty dollars, sir. And mm-hmm. on the way out, at least five people all the way out. Like, cause I took it to my car. I didn't want to carry it around for the attention. So I walked to my car, put it in my car, and on the way out there, like five people were like, <gasps> and I was like, nope, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like you walk around the parking lot so they don't see where you parked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm over there. Oh, the hunt is beautiful, man. Do you, like, I know, like you just mentioned, you've got your collectibles and your mementos and this. Do you have, like, a set collection? Would you say you're a collector? You know, I'm really not a collector per se. There's very few things I actively collect. Um, I've become, talking about Joe Hill, I've become a total signed book by Joe Joe Hill Signature Junkie. So I have everything he's done signed. Have you met him, then? Yes, yes, nice. actually. I met him. I was able to give him copies of Nightmare World, and he was super cool, a super nice guy, which helps. Cause I was a big fan, and then he's just great. Um, what I would think would be cool about meeting Joe Hill was that if you really like pretended and squinted your eyes for a minute, you could pretend you were back in the 70s or early 80s meeting Stephen King. Oh, it's not – you don't even have to pretend, man. Yeah. I mean that's that's him. You yeah. know, that's just, boom, right there. So that um, – I do have a quite a collection of signed stuff by Alan Moore. 
Oh. So uh, that that's Very pretty nice. cool. Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff signed by him. And then um, I got a bunch of some stuff signed by Harlan Ellison, which is pretty nice, too. Uh, nice. Yeah. I'm a big Harlan fan. But, but the Joe Hill and the Alan Moore thing has kind of been, I guess, my big – my big thing, you know, like that, like that's my vice is to sign Joe Hill stuff. And if I can get Alan Moore stuff signed, I'll, I'll do that. You know, um, that's about it. Other than that, I'm just a book guy in general. I like books. So, right, right. Are you a, are you a keeper of your books or are you a recycler? Like do you, is your book, is your place just filled like, you know, shelves with books or. I, I, oh God, I'm talking to you right now, and I've got books everywhere. I'm surrounded by I'm books. I'm never talking to you ha- from I'm, a I'm couch never... made of books. <laughs> I wish. No, yeah, no, my my office is just books everywhere. I got like a graphic novel spinner rack and a bunch of bookshelves, and I'm ready to figure out how to get more bookshelves in here. Um, so I'm definitely uh, more of a keeper. But that being said, I did just do a pretty pretty substantial purge of books. Um, because I get to the point where I'm to the point where I only try to buy stuff that I'll reread. Okay. That's kind of my rule, you know. At least as far as like a graphic novel goes, you know. I'll, you know, I, I buy some comics here and there, but okay. but if I'm going to buy it for the bookshelf, that's a book that inevitably I will pick up again at some point and reread. That's a good. You know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend just, to try to give them away when I finish a book, unless it's a book that was really special to me, like I want to keep mm-hmm. it on my shelf. I try to give it to somebody who I think may enjoy it. So I just try to keep passing. Oh, that's them along, great. You know what I mean? Be like, because I mean, you know, books are it's a, it's a weird time in the world because I don't think books and print will ever fully go away, but their that's role in the book. world is vastly different, right? Like. Well, I hope they we are. always have libraries, you know. I like I love taking oh. my kid to the library. Still to this day I'll take my kid to the library and we got a little library card and he gets his little books, you know. Mm-hmm. No, that shows a lot of love for it and it's a good way to discover new stuff that you otherwise wouldn't discover by surfing the internet or browsing Google Play books or whatever people do to get their ebooks, you know. Yeah. I, I think books are gonna become more of a a how say a kitschy thing, but more of a a collector thing, you know, but, uh, yes, but, and, and I'm, and I'm really not an anti ebook guy either. I mean, I think it's great. You know, the, the example I, I tell people all the time about this topic was years ago, uh, a friend of mine talked about reading the, uh, the game of Thrones books and I haven't even seen the new season on TV yet. So don't spoil nothing. You know, just, just put that out there. <laughs> but they said, Oh yeah, I'm going hiking and I'm, and I'm really excited. Cause I'm going to be camping for like two, three weeks. I'm going to take the game of Thrones books with me. And I'm like, why would you take all those books? Aren't they huge? She's like, uh, Dirk, I got a Kindle. I got a thousand books on there. And I'm like, oh, how can I argue with that? How can yeah. I argue with the idea that you can take a thousand books with you anywhere and something the size of a notebook? Oh, absolutely. You know, so right on, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. and now the for comics and for graphic novels, the resolution is so high and, and so great, and you can make them look so good that. There's really no reason to to complain about it, you well, know. Well, I think it's like anything, like finding a balance, you know. Like that is great. Like as you say, it's a miracle that you can take an entire library in your pocket. And at the same time, there's nothing like the feeling of literally physically curling up with a good book or being on vacation on a beach and you know whipping out the book and you know your fingers on the pages. There's you know there's a little room for everything. Exactly why this Star Wars is going to be so great because JJ is going to be smart enough to be like, okay, we don't want all digital and we don't want all practical. We want to paint this you know creation together with a mix of right 
the two, you know? So. Well, that, that, that's exactly the name of the game. You know, that's exactly the name of the game. It's like, do what's, do what's right for the property. And like I said, I don't have an e-reading device. I, I don't, I'm, I spend so much time on the computer anyway. I live on the internet, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, and that's how I communicate with all the different artists I work with. And then you get your social media and posting that stuff and monitoring the Tales of Mystery Kickstarter. Try not to be glued to that, you know. <laughs> you know. So I just want to go and, like, sit down with a book and read the book and turn the pages and look at it and feel it. You know, it's just that, that's just me. I'm a book guy. You know, I'm yeah, a book. for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I totally agree. Like, I, I wouldn't mind having a Kindle. I just I don't. And haven't got to it sort of thing what's uh what's your favorite book of all time and let's keep it simple enough let's say like novel like not graphic novel or comic book like right right my favorite novel gosh i mean kind of depends on mood i suppose well i'll tell you i think probably like not when I'm not like I'm not saying say what's the best novel of all time. Just no, what's the oh one no, that's had no, the no. most you know I'll, impact on you. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that I think the the there's two stories, particularly. I mean, obviously all the stuff by Edgar Allan Poe and stuff like that. I mean, all that kind of helped make me the person I'm today. But I think there's two stories that had an especially profound impact on me. Um, two shorts, two. Well, I I, I guess. A short story, a novella, and a novel is probably as close as I could go. Um, Flowers for Algernon. Okay. I can't even say the name of that story without choking up, man. <laughs> um, that's a story that everyone has to read. You know, yeah. it's about a gentleman who – it's written like a diary. It's about a gentleman uh, – they made a movie of it called Charlie, C-H-A-R-L-E-Y, I think it was. But yeah, it's L-E-Y, Fla- yeah. Yeah, yeah, but Flowers for Algernon um, – oh. My eyes are watering just thinking about it. <laughs> it's about a gentleman who is intellectually disabled and uh, agrees to take a drug that will – is promised to make him smarter. Yeah. And the whole story is about his um, his diary entries as he does indeed get smarter and starts to recognize how people have treated him and how he is. Uh, that That's a book that uh, – a story that as far as I'm concerned, everybody needs to read. I, I would mean, agree. It, it's just so powerful and so profound. Oh, it just, it's just uh, crushing. I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll ball reading it. I'll ball, you know. Um, probably the, then the scariest story I've ever read is, I think, The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Okay. And, and it's about a gentleman who, um, Kafka is kind of like one of those guys, like, uh, makes Poe and Lovecraft look cheery. <laughs> you know, uh, Kafka writes a lot about the what he calls the nakedness of man when faced with the absurd. Right. And uh, the very beginning of the book, of the, of the, of the story, uh, the metamorphosis, uh, this guy wakes up as a giant beetle. Okay. And it goes in there. He's in <laughs> his bed, and he wakes up as a, as a, as a bug. What? <laughs> as a big bug. Sounds all fucking Cronenberg naked lunch and shit. Oh well, yeah, they're they're Kafka esque, you know. Yeah. Um, the the story is absolutely terrifying. Aye. It speaks to the the human condition in a way that I mean, he's done other books, The Trial, stuff like that, but but for my money, oh my god, The Metamorphosis is just a the scariest thing I've ever read. A lot of people I know like the trial better, which is about a guy that gets put on trial, but he can't find out what for. 
Oh, that sounds neat. It's cool too, man. Yeah. Another very great one. But but for my the metamorphosis just just destroyed me. And you look at big novel, and this is probably going to shock a lot of people. I, I, I'm almost hesitant to say this because I think it gives people the wrong impression sometimes. But uh, The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, or Ayn Rand, right, right. really was a book that, that changed, had a very profound impact on me. Well, and that's not to that, say, you know, I mean, a lot of times in, in, in the States, you know, we talk about people that are um, the Tea Party and how they spout Ayn Rand philosophy and all this and economics. And yeah. I, I'm not saying like I'm a fan of, of hers or even her work, but I think the book had some very – there were some things in the book that were very powerful and profound to me, but then there were things in the book that were absolutely absurd and infuriating. That's, I feel the same way about her. I absolutely do. I've uh, When I first discovered her, it was reading some of her writings where I was just like, this woman's fucking brilliant. How do I not know her? And then read some other stuff where it's like, oh, she doesn't we're think crazy. I, <laughs> yeah, you don't you, think you, I'm worth life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So – you know, just just on the on the merits of the book itself, uh, very powerful book, and a book that that definitely had such a huge huge influence on me. Right, but like I said, right. that's not to say I'm a I'm a Randian or whatever. Right? No, of course. But it, but yeah. it just it just was a book that I mean really really had a pretty profound impact on me, and really made me reconsider a lot of things about the way I look at a lot of things. And, and it's a good book. It's worth reading, but it's a book that I, I would hope people find things to agree with and things to adamantly disagree with. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's neat. The book that definitely had the most influence on me was The Jungle Book. Mm. Or more, more, I should say more specifically, as in print, when you when you read out the way that Rudyard Kipling's Things are laid out. Uh, it's basically the ju- the second Jungle Book is what you would call it, because he had like the Jungle Book, the second Jungle Book, which included more stories than just Mowgli, right? Right, right, and right, right, right. The right, second right, right. Jungle Book was the version where it was nothing but the Mowgli stories, mm-hmm. and uh, my I, my grandfather used to read that to me growing up, and uh, those stories were just they no other stories let my imagination go as crazy as they did. And then uh, I just remember when I, I was so excited when I learned to read because I could read that book. You could just pick it up and read it. And man. it's one of those yeah. books that I have read enough times now. Like I'm not saying hundreds of times, but it's enough times now that I don't remember how many times I've read it. And uh, you know, very soon I plan to read it to my son for the first time, which is very oh, exciting. But there's that's gonna be awesome. Oh, man. dude, it's so cool that that stuff can you know I can do that now. But Kipling's writing had a it had a vividness to it. Like when I would read his writing or hear it being read to me, I could so just feel the jungle. I could, mm-hmm. I could, you know, he would just be so descriptive from every little dew drop to, to the big scale of things. And it just, I really, really, and just being close with my grandfather. And that was something we shared, you know, and he was all about hunting and animals and this and that. So, yeah, you know, which was very cool for me because that introduced me to all the classics, which I read pretty young. I started reading *Last of the Mohicans*, *Oliver Twist*. You know, nice. Yeah, Adventures love of classics. Rob. Man. Oh man, this *Count of Monte Cristo*. You know, *Moby Dick*. I read most of these books before I was oh, 10, ten years well, old. You know, well, yeah, I, I was the same with like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea*, *Moby yeah, Dick*. Yeah, I was. For, I, I was a I was a reader when I was little, man. Me too, and I man. Was, Just for I was going to the library and like the libraries would like give me grief, like you can't read that book. You're not you 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 yeah. why, why are you getting that book? And I'm like <laughs> and I'm like, 
give me a break. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have a team a week. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll have 20,000 leagues back to you in like seven days. I'll, I'm sure I'll be done yeah. with that. Like, you know? Give me an hour. You got to catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> give me more. Give me two hours. Yeah, I'll my, be done. my mom was a big uh, Stephen King fan. And uh-huh. so she had a lot of the books lying around. And I remember in grade six, I was like, Mom, I'm going to tackle it. And she's <laughs> like, you're fucking crazy. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to yeah. do it. It's gonna... I did it for the summer in between grade five and grade six, like going into middle school. For here, uh, for here, it's uh, post-secondary – sorry. How's it work here? You've got uh, elementary school, secondary school, and uh, senior public school, which is in between okay. six, seven, and eight, right? Okay. Okay. So uh, I'm going into senior public school, and I'm like, you know, I, I'd, I'd always pick a big book to read for the summer, and that that was it. That was my quest. Was going to be I'm going to do it all of like whatever 1,100 fucking pages or whatever the hell that book is, uh-huh. and it took me three months as a little kid. That's a hell of a read, though, man. Every night, just feeling like I was reading forever, and it took three months of my little grade six life to get that book done, but. What an impact it had, man. Not like just, I mean, the impact of uh, not like a personal impact, but just the realization that that could, is how it could be done. Yep. You know, just the uh, the, the, the realization what, of how to really get on people's level, you know? See, that's what the, with his work, that's what the stand was like to me, despite an absolute, literally DSX Machina ending, which was just so bad. Uh, the ending just infuriated me, but the book itself and the characters and, and the way he wrote one chapter in the stand, just about how the virus spread so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so powerful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I loved his short story collection. Night Shift and Skeleton Crew were so, so good. Um, you know, the dark half was one of my favorite books by him. Uh, but then the stever at the stand, you, you know, yeah. before all that, the shining, you know, but, and then you look at Joe Hill, who's his, you know, obviously his son, and um, it's so funny because everyone, you know, people talk about Joe. They've read Joe Hill's work, you know, whether it be his comics or especially even his fiction. And there's kind of that whisper, and it's like, it's not quite fair to say yet, <laughs> but he might be better than his dad. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but it's not a fair thing to say yet. His dad is so prolific. But oh it's also a different God. generation. Sometimes a new generation will have a new outlook. Like he had a leg up as well. And I don't sure. mean oh, I don't yeah. mean in the industry so much. I mean just as like in no, his he, genes in his way in a way, he right? Hit his, he hit his identity. Yeah. So that people would know he was Stephen King's son. But right, but you know, I mean don't mean dude has a leg up and that's not to take away from Stephen King at all, but right. Harshe Box is one of the most amazing novels of uh, horror novels i've ever read you know right on you know, i would tell anybody that wants to get into horror novels go read heart shaped box and then go read house of leaves and uh you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> you start yeah. at the top it was weird because stephen king was so huge in the 80s and then they kind of went through this lull like a bunch of years ago where people were like oh he's just like pop you know he's not like a really good writer yep. he's yep. just you know yep. and now you feel it coming around again where people are starting to really realize the actual like what he got away with, you know what I mean? And yeah, and I, how I, he was able to use his prose, you know? And I just read, oh my gosh, uh, what was the, the the Kennedy book? 11, oh, Stephen King. It, it came out a number of years ago. Now. I mean, it's fairly new to me because I haven't had a chance to, to read any of his yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm not about. familiar. 11, 2, 6, it's, it's the, it was the day of the Kennedy assassination. Okay. I'll look it up. But, uh, but it was just very, very, very 
good book and uh yeah duh, 11 63 sorry see, i blanked I totally blanked out right but on. uh that's a newer book that he did in the scheme of things and again was very very good very very well done and and it's uh, it's funny because my one critique of Stephen King a lot of times has been his endings on his books. He writes great books and then doesn't know how to. I feel like he doesn't always know how to end them. I could see that. You know, and I read the ending of, of that one and I'm like, that ending was amazing. And I said, wow. I said that that was like a Joe Hill ending. <laughs> and then I read the afterword of the book and he actually said that Joe Hill basically helped him write the ending. Yeah. I'm like, oh wow, okay. But but then what what amazed me? But this is the power of the written word, you know. I hadn't read any Stephen King prose in probably, God, 10, 15 years yeah, at least. Right on, yeah. But I could then recognize, like, what a, what a, you know, his, his writing was so profound, you know, so stuck, so ingrained in me that I could recognize the ending was kind of like not one of his endings. That's you know, cool, man. And then that, you know, obviously have, spot shit, eh? Yeah, and obviously with like Joe Hill, you know, I mean, he has, I think, one short, yeah, one short story collection and three novels. Yeah, they've has, collaborated uh, quite a bit, I think, at this point, haven't and, they? And they've done a couple things together. Yeah, they did yeah, some yeah. some stuff together. But it was funny that I could tell that difference. Like, wow, that's more like a Joe Hill, end, you know, than a Stephen King ending. And uh, yeah, that's cool, man. It shows that uh, your senses are sharp. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's a testament to their built, to their strength, and their voices, writers. As true, well. true. You know what really is crazy? You ever, uh, I'm sure you have, but you ever read those one sentence horror stories? Oh yeah. That are just like I, or sentence horror. Yeah, yeah they yeah. kind of escape me at the moment, but I have. I've read a couple of those that I couldn't get out of my head for like fucking hours afterwards, you know, Just yeah, like, yeah, like, uh, I, I can't think of one right now, but people, oh, there's all kinds of them. Yeah. Like, people yeah. Go- Google that enough. One sentence yeah. horror. Well, yeah, usually, usually the ones I see, they're two sentence horror. Or yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but there are some one sentence, some two sentence horror. Yeah. They're, they're, there's some good stuff out there, man. It's, it's great. amazing what you can do with words. Like, you uh-huh. know, it was, Oh, I had a really cool experience yesterday where I can't remember how this came up, but I was talking to my kid and it came up to try and explain what a different language is. I was basically telling him that he'd never occurred to him that there's other languages. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I put the French channel on here. We oui. in Canada and I put it on and I, I put it on. And he's like, what? He's looking at me and he's looking at the screen. He just it looks like news to him. And I was like, listen, listen for a minute. Tell me what they're saying. And just the look that came over his face as he didn't understand what they were saying, it was just priceless. That's awesome. (laughs) And then I had to explain to him that there's different words. And the way I was able to do that was with hello, basically. And I was like, we say hello, they say bonjour, means the same thing. So he kind of got into it, but just (laughs) just seeing his little brain working it out was awesome. (laughs) that's cool man it's amazing what we can do with like words and language and communication it's it's funny because yeah even you know with like tales of mystery for example you know it's a book about a magician and magicians and the promise group who's a whole cabal or organization of magicians and to me i kind of want to know how stuff works and how magic works and there's a there's a power in words. There's a power in words that's very profound, and the way I've kind of approached magic to make make it make sense in my mind is that you can use words to manipulate reality, which is what we're doing right now. We're using words to communicate and and these things. And like, what if you could find the words to kind of unlock and 
maybe not change reality, but allow you to influence it in a different way rather than just communicating an idea. Right. What if you can communicate what if or you can cast spells? <laughs> something else. Right. Whether it be yeah. a spell or whatever, you, yeah, you know, yeah. that you can summon that in you. So that's always been a really – language has always been a really uh, uh, a topic of a lot of interest to me. And it's fun for me to get to explore that with this because uh, I don't like the idea of, like, you know, magic not having rules. You know, it's like you just do anything you want. No, 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 no. That's yeah. not how I, – I, that then becomes a – That's an, yeah, Then it becomes anime. Right. Well, that becomes just a superhero. It becomes fantasy, complete yeah. fantasy, and there's no, there's no, there's no inherent danger. There's no, there's no drama because they can do anything. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, I, I, I deal a lot with that language issue and looking up different languages, you know, like Sanskrit even and stuff like that. And how did they say the word for this? And how do other people say the word for this? And what does that mean? And what does that word mean in the context of how we understand it? And what if you could hunt, you know, and yeah, it's, 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 you, you pick that scab, you'll bleed to death, brother. Okay. Sorry, dude. Just gotta give me one sec. I just hear my kid making his way downstairs. One sec. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy. Now this is the part listeners. Where if he chooses to keep recording, we could say all kinds of things that he wouldn't know. Sadly, I'm not that interesting, so I, I can't think of anything cool to say when he's not here to really mess with him. Maybe I could sing songs from the Shocker soundtrack. Dangerous Toys, anyone? Dudes of Wrath, an amazing super group. Now let me tell you, with Dudes of Wrath, for years I was hoping and waiting and praying they would put out an album. And they never did. Dudes of Wrath, Shocker soundtrack. They recorded two versions of the same song. Great soundtrack. Great band. But no album, I'm afraid. I think he's coming back. We'll have to quit, we'll have to quit having this private side conversation now, I think. Chill out. Relax a minute. This is like the intermission. I mean, let's be honest. He's probably going to cut all this out anyway. I mean, I guess I could say or do anything I wanted right now, but I don't want to do that. And let's be honest, I mean, I, you know, if I got something to say, I'll say it. So, it's just us, people. It's just us. Oh, here he comes. Here he comes. Oh, sorry about that. That's okay. I hope you kept recording. Uh, yeah, I have just kept it. <laughs> okay, good, good. Well, I was just having a nice talk with everybody for a minute. All right, good times. Yeah, unfortunately, you can, you, can, uh, you can leave it in the show and then go back and find out later what I was saying when you were gone. I'm excited to hear it now. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not, not often I can listen to my own show and uh, not know what the hell's happening. You know? Yeah, no, no, no peeking. <laughs> Just kind of awesome. Uh, yeah, my wife's in Chicago right now. So uh, it's just me and the boy holding it down. Something just woke him up up there. I don't know whether it was zombies or what have you. but uh, I promise you I did not do it this time. <laughs> it wasn't you creeping in for the souls of the young. <laughs> yeah, I'm not yours. <laughs> Good. I I got spells on mine anyways. That's actually, uh, speaking of like that, we, we, were, we were speaking before. Uh, that's one thing I really like about that new Constantine show. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure if this if it's ever been like this in Hellblazer because I never really read the comic, but the spells he uses all have really cool like uh, origins behind them, or whether it's like an item he's using to like cast something. Uh, it's it's got like like for example, uh, 
they had a, a piece of string made from Achilles' heel, like literally made from the tendons mm. of Achilles' heel. So it was like it's the strongest little piece of like thread in the planet. Interesting. Yeah, I even I watched the first episode or two, and I don't watch a lot of TV to begin with, and and, and I also don't like to talk about stuff I I don't care for, but I just it just didn't grab me. You know, and I'm cool. really excited that in the comic that Riley Rossmo, DC, you know, kind of re- is relaunching a bunch of their books, and Riley Rossmo is going to be illustrating uh, Constantine the Hellblazer or whatever mm-hmm. they're calling it. And I love Riley's work. One of your fellow Canadians. Oh, another one. <laughs> yeah, he did the he did the cover to the first Tales of Mystery books, matter of fact. So and he's a very good guy. I did a story with him in the Dia de la Mortis collection. He did. Um, so I'll I'll definitely be checking that out. Um, but I, yeah, I just don't watch a lot of TV, and it just didn't grab me. I heard it's gotten considerably better, and which is great. I'm all for more gateway gateway media to horror i'm all about that so absolutely yeah yeah but it, it just reminded me of that because it's one cool little thing they do where you know like as he's about to cast a spell he'll pull out like an object and explain the history behind that yeah object. yeah yeah and it's always got some... destiny or this or yeah, that yeah yeah it's not just him always just throwing up his hands being like mecca like yeah. high and fucking yeah. shit happens yeah. you know? <laughs> but uh Hick-a-hi-ni-o. as we wind down here Hick-a-hi-ni-o. sir um, are there any stretch goals left? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I thought it would be like right towards the end of the campaign. We'd get to like that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> get to 13,000, maybe uh, and we're nine days in and we're, we're 11. Um, <laughs> the 13,000 one is a bonus comic with a five page tales of mystery story in it. Uh, that has never before been published ever anywhere by Josh Ross. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, and it's one of my favorite mystery stories that I've ever written. It's just a five-page story called No One Left, and uh, it's a really a human, a very human story about ghosts, I guess the best way to say it. <laughs> really human story about ghosts. That's brilliant, Dirk. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I'm really excited about that. Um after we broke through 11,000 today, I just, I can't believe I'm even, I, those words come out of my mouth. I can't believe I'm saying, them. <laughs> um, oh my God, it's crazy. It's awesome, uh, dude. But we are, I, I am actually, act, I'm actively lining up the post 13,000 goals, uh, because, you know, I mean, right now, if people order the hardcover, you know, and you can go to Kickstarter, look up Dirk Manning, look up Tales of Mystery, M-R-R-H-E-E. Hey, uh, <laughs> or um, you can put in Cthulhu and I think it comes up you know? but um, right now if you order the hardcover uh, which I, I want to put this out there too you know well, burying the lead I'll save all the news about the book till the end of the interview but um, we're doing a limited edition hardcover that you can legitimately only get through Kickstarter that's it. You can only get the hardcover through Kickstarter. So when the campaign ends, we're going to print that many hardcovers, and that's it. And that's it. Nice. No more. Nice. We did it in the first one. We're doing it on this one. You get that many, poof, done. Move on out. to the next thing. Hell yeah. That's uh, a good way to keep you moving forward, you know, and make well, you yeah, not I mean, rest the, on that thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the trade paperback will be available, obviously. We'll keep that in print. But if you want this nice deluxe hardcover of volume two, this is the way to get it. You know, people are asking, oh, well, you know, can I get a volume one? You know, 
no, I don't have any. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, they're gone. That, that, they're gone, man. That we yeah. printed them and that was it. We're gonna do the same thing with volume two, and then maybe volume three do the same thing. Now I understand some people are completists, so someday we may try to like find a way to reissue hardcovers or something. I, I don't do it a little bit differently, but, but well, no, that's man. when you're gonna have to take all the hardcovers and then make said omnibus of all the hardcovers. <laughs> well, it's it's been it's been discussed, you oh, know, because the trade paperback, you know, the collections will exist too. But anyway, right now, if you get the hardcover – oh, and by the way, we also have a limited edition glow-in-the-dark variant of this amazing mystery T-shirt by yeah, Seth. the T-shirt's cool, man. The T-shirt is badass, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we were playing around, and oh, Seth just crushed it. I said, what if we can't do like this? And Because uh, you always want, really want to cater your artist's strengths, your, the artists you work with, and, and cater to them. He nailed it. And just the same thing. The glow-in-the-dark variant, you get through Kickstarter. That's it. Now we'll probably offer like the black, like the the black shirt with the white ink on it, but the glow in the dark is right. only for the campaign. That's cool. Kind of like the Dirk alert, yeah. Dirk alert shirts we did, <laughs> which were crazy as well. But anyway, as we as we the the this and the last time we talked, we we for some reason foolishly neglect to send out many due props to Mister Seth Demoose. Oh, um, Seth is so good. Uh, artist behind this whole madness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, you know, it's funny because he had kind of this issue even about running with Tales of Mystery Volume 2 because he didn't feel that he was going to be the right fit for it. So when we first started working on it, he was trying to like make, make a style more Mignola-ish and stuff like that and do right, different right. things. Or trying to look more like Josh Ross, who did an amazing job on Volume 1, this film noir look of it, just great. I'm like, look, man, stop it. Just draw the way you would draw it. Yeah. I wrote this for you in your style to illustrate it your way, and it's gonna work. And uh, and, and, and yeah, once he kind of got comfortable with that, I mean, that, then like the you know, some people initially were like, "Wait a minute, this you know, Carmageddon, Tales of Mystery Carmageddon, it's in full color and and the colors are bright and things are different, like different art style." I'm like, don't worry, man, yeah. you'll get it. Yeah. And now people universally are like turning the corner and like, oh my god, Seth is amazing! It like, looks yeah. great, man. He yeah, knocked it out yeah, of the yeah. park. It looks fantastic. And, and, sure, and, and, and big love to Anthony D. Lee on the colors too, you know? I mean, oh, yeah. the fact that we did a horror book in, in bright, vibrant colors. It's like, <laughs> not everything has to be at night, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so if you order the hardcover on Kickstarter, you get, right now you're getting a button, uh, art print, or a, I'm sorry, a book plate signed by me and signed and head sketched by Seth, and an art print by Seth. Cool. Yeah. Then if we get to thirteen thousand, you get the bonus comic. So now if we get past that, it's like I mean, people. Are, I, I want nothing more than to send people like a box of stuff with every order. Like, <laughs> boom! Here's all your stuff. You know. Yeah, but at the yeah. same time, I got to make sure we don't go broke. You know. Yeah. yeah. Saying, you know. <laughs> so there's like this line of like, how what kind of stuff can we offer? But um, I have one particular thing lined up that I'm really excited about. Uh, so there's gonna be some cool stuff announced. That, but I, I realized I gotta get it in place soon because now like everyone's rallying on Facebook <laughs> that 13k by the 13th. Okay, yeah. Which and, is also which is Friday the 13th. I just I don't right I, I literally I literally just looked over my calendar. Yeah. And I was just saying as you said, which is Friday the 13th. I knew that. I, I knew that. I didn't even think some... about it. And I'm like, oh yeah. my god, I'm like, I gotta get I gotta get this stuff in place <laughs> quick, man. You know. Uh, all right, kids. Well, help make this happen. Well. That means, because this show goes up Thursdays, which means tomorrow is Friday the 13th. So if you're hearing this today 
and you uh-huh. uh, and you want to get on to Kickstarter, the Tales of Mystery, uh, Carmageddon hardcover, something, something. What's the official title for this one? Oh yeah, yeah. If you just look up Tales of Mystery, M R R H E E, and this is the Carmageddon Deluxe hardcover collection. They can look it up under my name, Dirk Manning. Um, yeah, it's. You're just getting a ton of free stuff with your orders at this point. We have all kinds of package deals, commissions from Seth and a book, you name it, man. All kinds of cool stuff on there. So you can uh, you can still get killed in the volume three. You have a cameo in volume three. You can get killed in volume three. Seth the Moose is actually drawing the murder issue when everyone's going to be getting killed. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a good time. So yes, kids, I'll go there. Support. Keep this thing moving. Uh, it's fantastic times. Uh, fantastic art being made by fantastic people. Dirk Manning, do you have anything else that you would like to uh, shut down the evening with? Well, uh, if, you know, if, if this sounds like your thing, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, I don't know. I don't know how to quite use Tumblr yet. I'm trying to figure it out. But uh, at Dirk Manning, uh, my website's DirkManning.com. It has all the shows I'll be at and things like that there. You know, obviously I'll be at Motor City, uh, so I'll get to see you there, which is going to be awesome. Right on! I can't great wait. Time and the Drunk on Comics guys will be there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, DirkManning.com has all my tour dates, things like that. And I'll end it with the Sleepaway Camp reference that we never got to. One of my alt I, I have all kinds of little Easter eggs hidden in the Nightmare World series. Uh-huh. One of my all-time favorite Easter eggs is in Volume One, in the story Knee Deep in the Dead, which is like the slasher movie parody story, which is the first script I ever really wrote that truly was like for me in the sense that I was convinced no one else would ever like that story because it made me laugh so much and it was so funny. And Knee Deep in the Dead is, I think, to this day, one of the most universally loved Nightmare World stories of all time. There is a very subtle, but to me so obvious, sleepaway camp reference in that story. Because like the main characters are Frida and Jason, you know, Freddie and Jason. Right, and right. There's, and, and like the, the killer has like the striped sweater and the Chucky hair, the hockey mask, and the, <laughs> and the Michael Myers knife. But in that story, there is a sleepaway camp reference that no one ever picks up on, and it makes me laugh so hard every time I read it. And it's in the punchline of the story. So if you're a Sleepaway Camp fan, you know, Comixology, Amazon, whatever, get uh, Nightmare World Volume 1, read the story Knee Deep in the Dead, and watch, and, and see if you can pick up on the... <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> the Sleepaway Camp The Sleepaway Camp reference. No one gets, but if you get the joke, if you can pick up that reference, now that I've kind of put it out there, you'll just die, man. It's the funniest thing. So. And yeah, hit, hit Dirk up if you figure it out, at Dirk Manning on the Twitters and let him know. Sir, it is always a absolute pleasure taking the time to chat with you sir <laughs> absolutely same here brother and i look forward to seeing you at motor city as do i that's in may kids and also coming up next month of course toronto comic-con and i would like to announce that i'm a very 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 lucky boy who received tickets from his very very beautiful girl to go see hollywood babylon on march 21st the Saturday of the Toronto Comic-Con weekend. That's my favorite podcast of all time. And if you're not listening to it, go to the Smodcast Network and check it out. It's uh, It'll definitely be the hardest you laugh all week. 
But uh, again, Dirk Manning, Tales of Mystery, check that stuff out. We'll be getting uh, hooked up with him in May, and we'll uh, chat again, of course, in Motor City. But that is all we are going to have this week on An Elegant Weapon, kids. Take it easy.